Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from March 20th by Pastor Randy, titled, Nehemiah, Build Back Your Faith, Part 8. We're still in Nehemiah, and I've, you know, as I sort of do my teaching thing, it's also within me to continue to do that teaching thing, so we're going to close out chapter 5 today. We began it last week. And so to set the scene for you in Nehemiah chapter 5, the people have come back from captivity and they're very poor. They have very little to even be able to eat. And so some of them are having to mortgage their land to be able to eat, but then they can't pay the mortgage. And so the land winds up being taken away. And some are even to the point of having to sell their kids into slavery to be able to eat. So things aren't good at all. It's difficult. And all this being taken advantage of by, by people and, and not being able to pay their mortgage back is because of these wealthy Jews that are taking advantage of them, that are uh, charging them high interest rates and things like that. So in chapter 5, it's a little bit different than the other chapters because the conflict is not between them and some outward enemy. The conflict is between themselves. It's among themselves. See, I can't tell you the number of churches that I've seen totally implode, fail, basically disappear, not because of pressure from the outside, but because of conflict on the inside. Because a few people decided they were going to put their agenda over the gospel. And it, it, it just tears things apart because they lose sight of the goal. They lose sight of what God wants them to do. They lose sight of the steps they need to take in order to, to bring about the revival, to get where they need to be. And so that's what's going on, that's what's going on here in chapter 5. And so the focus in chapter 5 that, that Nehemiah is making, he's making a contrast between his integrity of, hey, this is where God wants us to be, and I'm on board with that. This is what I've been doing, versus the lack of integrity of these wealthy Jews who have their own goals, their own agenda, what they want to accomplish. And so we began talking about integrity last week. And this is how we defined it. We said integrity is resolve and the courage to do the right thing just because it's the right thing, even when it costs you, and especially when it costs you. And one other thing that we said about it last week is that the outcome of the decision matters more to you than doing the will of your Heavenly Father. You're not a follower, you're a user. In other words, if you're willing to sacrifice your integrity because of some outcome you want, don't call yourself a follower. You're not. You're just trying to use God, God and his name in order to further your own agenda, what you want to see happen, not what God wants. So now let's come to a verse that we're going to focus on today. Proverbs 11.3, the integrity of the upright guides them. In other words, it's, it's, it's the lens through which they do life. So right away, this part of the verse, the question asks is what guides you? Is it status? Is it power? Is it pride? And okay, so let's go there. What guides you? Because here's the thing. We want and we think that integrity guides us. That's what we want to happen, every one of us. You know, we want to have integrity guide us. We want to do the right thing. We want to be responsible. But you don't know if integrity guides you or not until it costs you 
Until the pressure's on. Until that time, you're not sure whether you're a person of integrity or not. Uh, think of it this way. If you are under pressure and your trigger response is to blame, if your trigger response is to say, it's not my fault, if the first thing out of your mouth was, I didn't do it and it's not me, then integrity doesn't guide you. If you grew up thinking, I will always do this or be that, or I will never do this, I'll never do that, and then you got into a situation, a different situation, all of a sudden you may have met him or met her. That's usually how it goes. It's usually with another person. And then you wind up saying that what you used to say, I'll never do or I'll always do this, it became whatever. That's because you're not a person of integrity. So let me ask you this. Have you ever lied to someone in order to assure them that you can be trusted? Have you ever lied to someone in order to ensure them that you can be trusted? So you're in high school and your parents say, okay, you can start driving the car to school, but you get the car to school and you park it. You don't leave till it's time to come home. You drive the car home and you park it there and wait till we get home. Yes, that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll certainly do that. You're really excited about driving the car to school yourself and you're doing that for a couple of weeks and then all of a sudden you're with your friends and one of your friends say, let's go get lunch. That's what happened to me. You know, let's go get pizza. You know, let's, let's not eat the school lunch. Let's go get lunch. Does anybody have a car? Well, I do. And all of a sudden, it becomes your habit. A couple times a week, you and your friends in your car at lunchtime. So you leave and you go to lunch and you come back. And then maybe a few weeks after that, your mom or your dad says, did you leave and drive the car and go to lunch today? Now you have a choice to make. You can tell the truth. Or you can lie in attempts to maintain their trust. Anybody ever do anything like that? Yeah. A lot of you know what that's like. Some of you didn't want to raise your hand, but you gave me a nod. You gave me a wink, said that's me. All right. So here's the thing. We expect others to have integrity even if we don't. So you're in school again and you decide you're going to cheat on your test and you get by with it. You're not caught. Next day you get the papers back and you look at it and you got a grade that you were hoping to get. But then as you look at the paper, you notice there's a couple of places in here where the teacher should have gave me credit, but she didn't. Do you sit back and go, well, I cheated, so I guess I'm just going to let that pass? No. You march right up to her desk and say, you owe me these two other points on my test. Because even though you cheated, you don't want your teacher to cheat you. It's why thieves don't like to be stolen from. What? You took my stuff. Well, you still. Yeah, but I didn't expect that from you. You took my stuff. See, we expect integrity from others. We expect it from our leaders, our preachers, our teachers, our government leaders, and all that. Whether we have integrity or not, we expect it from others. Okay, next thing, let's go back to Proverbs 11.3. The integrity of the upright guides them. That word upright, it, it just, well, it means upright, standing up. But it's a, it's a picture of this. 
When you're upright and you're standing up, you're not just looking down and, and focusing on your next step. You're also looking ahead with what comes. So you're looking here, but you're also looking off into the future. Because isn't it true? One of your greatest regrets or your greatest regrets, you could go back and you blame it on. You were just thinking about the here and now and not the future. See, it's one thing about a person who walks in, in integrity. He's not just looking at now. He's looking at the future. And then there's a contrast, but the perversity or the crookedness, depending on your uh, translation of the treacherous, destroys them. The idea here is that you've got this part of your life that you're covering up. See, that's what the ones who lack integrity do. They got this part of life, it's like they're throwing a blanket over it. Don't look over there. Don't look underneath that blanket. You know, look at me and look at what I'm telling you and look at what I want you to see. Don't look at what I'm hiding. So here's the question we have to ask. Are there parts of your life that you do not want anybody else to see? Is there something going on right now that you hope nobody else uncovers? Because if that's true, you're not a person of integrity. Because ultimately, what's it say? It's going to destroy them. People who have that going on, who have no integrity, who aren't looking out for God's agenda, but their own agenda, people who are hiding things that they hope nobody else sees, sooner or later, it will cause their destruction. Here's the next thing. Uh, that, well, we asked that question. Let's go on. Here's the next thing. Your failure of integrity will impact others. See, when you have a fail where it comes to integrity, it's not isolated. It's not just going to affect you. It's going to affect other people. We talked about the same thing a couple of months ago. When we talked about structural integrity. We, we define structural integrity as the ability of a, a structure, it could be a beam or a column, to withstand its intended load without cracking or, or failing. Because what happens when, when a part of a structure, a part of it, a beam or a column, when that structural integrity fails and it can't handle this load, what happens is all of a sudden the load is distributed among all those other structures around it, overloading them. That's what we saw in Florida a couple of months ago, right? When that apartment building collapsed, you had one part of it that couldn't handle it. And then that stress was, was spread out to these other parts that couldn't handle it. And you got half the building, it's just gone, it just collapses. And so think of it like that when you're looking at your personal integrity. Whenever you fail, whenever you do not have any personal integrity, it's not just for you. It's not just isolated to affecting you. It affects the people around you. Teachers know this. You have the kid that's making straight A's in school. Then all of a sudden they start failing. The first thing that the teacher thinks of is there must be something going on at home. CEOs, they've messed up. They've had an integrity fail. It doesn't just affect them. Now hundreds, possibly thousands of employees are affected. It's the it's the same thing uh, that goes along with parents. You know, a mother and a father, they may be experiencing a lot of stress, but not because of their own personal integrity. It's because of the integrity fail of an older child. And all of a sudden, they're full of stress. This part of the thing goes on all the time. 
And when somebody has an integrity fail, it's always transferred to other people. Let, let, me, let me tell you another way to, to, to put this. Here's another way to put it. Our irresponsibility will become someone else's responsibility. Isn't it true that our culture is growing more and more irresponsible? See, here's the thing. People think that they have a right to be irresponsible. And that they don't have to clean up their mess because of their irresponsibility. They think it's somebody else's responsibility to deal with their irresponsibility. In other words, there's no integrity. And, and they think they don't, it's not their fault they don't have integrity. They want to blame it on somebody else. They don't want to be responsible for it. There was a guy who was trying to teach his kids this, and he did it this way. The kids would have a you know, toy on the f- floor, and he'd say, you know, hey, Johnny, come here. Ask me to pick up that toy and go put it where it belongs. And the kid would reach down and grab the toy and say, no, 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 I don't want you to get it. I want you to ask me to pick up your toy and go put it where it belongs. Or there'd be a towel on the floor. Hey, Johnny, come here. Call your mom. Mom. Mom comes, now I want you to ask your mom to pick up your towel and put it in a dirty clothes hamper where it belongs. And he goes, no, no, I don't want you to pick it up. I want you to ask her to do it. It's that way of just trying to get across to them that when you're irresponsible, it becomes somebody else's responsibility. So you can't be irresponsible and act like it's nobody else's business. Maybe not now, but maybe down the road. It may not happen immediately, but ultimately your irresponsibility is to become somebody else's responsibility. If you're irresponsible with your health, you might as well go to your, your spouse and say, look, will you please help take care of me when I'm older because I wasn't responsible with my health when I was younger? Your irresponsibility will become somebody else's responsibility. And as Christians, we should be the most responsible people on the planet. We should be the ones that's always paying our bills, paying our taxes, doing everything on time. Why? Because we understand that we're ultimately accountable to God. So we should be the one that has that integrity, that responsibility. That should be us. Here's what we read in Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. See, God gave us responsibility at the very beginning. We were designed to be responsible. And what does God tell Adam and Eve? You got this one rule. Not a hundred, just one. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of, of, of good and evil, of, of knowledge of good and evil. Just don't do that one thing. And then God comes to Adam and says, did you eat that fruit of that tree I told you not to eat of? And Adam says, I sure did. I'm responsible. Uh, it, it's up to me to, to carry the, 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 the ramifications of this. Just, it's not Eve. Just leave Eve out of it. It was me. Well, not quite. This man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. God, I was doing fine. I was okay in the garden. Then you gave me this woman and she's the one that came to me and asked me to eat this. So it's not my fault. It's your fault and it's her fault. That's what he's saying. So the Lord God asked the woman, who is this you, 
what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. It's not my fault. It's the serpent's fault. See, it's hard to find people who are responsible, who have integrity. As soon as they get under pressure, their trigger response is not to blame. I didn't do it. It wasn't me. I didn't say that. It's what goes on and on and on. Here's the next thing I want you to see. Integrity is essential to relational success and fulfillment. With others and with God, we could add to that. Because I'll tell you what, have you ever tried to have a relationship with someone who has no integrity? You're not sure if they're ever telling the truth or not. You're, you're, you're not sure, you know, are they to blame for this or not? You, you don't know. They're, they're always talking around things. Uh, they try to cover. They try to blame. You can't have a good, honest conversation with them. Some of you work with people like that. Some of you may live with somebody like that. It's hard to have a relationship if there's no integrity, if there's no honesty, if there's never any claiming responsibility. So don't be a person with no integrity. You don't want to have a relationship with one, with one like that, so don't be a person like that. Next thing, your integrity is more important than your fallibility. See, your respect in a relationship doesn't depend upon your fallibility. It depends upon your integrity. Uh, in other words, there's times where you're just not going to get it right. Let me ask you this way. What do you think of people who when they mess up, they fess up, and then they clean up? People who said, yes, I messed up. Here's the mess I created. I did this, and this is how I'm going to make it right. So you can, you can work with people like that. And here's the thing. We're all going to make mistakes. Nobody's going to get it right all the time. The question is, when you do mess up, do you fess up? Do you try to clean up? Or are you a person who just tries to cover up and lie about it? See, your relationships, relationship fulfillment doesn't depend upon you being perfect. It just depends upon you being a person of integrity. A person who takes responsibility. When I was, before I began preaching years back, I would manage employees and then in preaching, then I got staff members and I got other pastors that I deal with. And would, would one of them would come to me and tell me something in some area that they messed up in, something I wouldn't have known if they hadn't told me. And they said, yes, I messed up. Here's where I messed up. And here's what I'm doing to fix it. Can you trust somebody like that? Oh, yes. Somebody who you know when they mess up, they're going to try and make it right. They're going to be responsible. They are a person of integrity. They're not trying to hide it. When the pressure is on, what do they do? They do the right thing because it's the right thing. When it's hard and especially when it's hard. One verse that we didn't get to last week is verse 19. It's the last verse of chapter 5. Here's what Nehemiah says. Remember me favorably, my God, for all that I've done for this wall. No, for this people. 
Nehemiah knows this isn't ultimately about building a wall. It's about restoring a people. The wall is just a means to get them ready for God to do in their heart what God needs to do in their heart. If all it was was about building a wall, who cares if Nehemiah has integrity or not? But it's not about just building a wall. It's about restoring a people where they need to be because they're, they're broken. They're, they're messed up in every which way that they've messed up. They have no integrity in their worship. They have, don't have any dealings. It's just a messed up people. They need revival. And what they need is to be moving toward that agenda that God has for them and not get distracted, not think other things are more important. See, people get this confused all the time on what's really important. That's why Jesus would always turn to people following him and say, okay, you want to follow me? Not unless I'm first above your family, above your money, above your agenda, above your pride, above all on and on he would go. He said this way, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Paul would put it this way in Colossians 1.16. He says, the reason all this stuff happened, the reason the gospel happened is so Christ would have first place in everything. You want to make it about other things? You want to make it about, well, I'll see if I can make some money here like those Jews were doing. Because that's important too, you know. I need to look out for my family. And, and you, want to, you want to start pushing other agendas beside what God wants to happen? Failure is going to come. Integrity from chapter 5 standpoint, we've been going over, you know, brokenness and prayer and unity and perseverance. And integrity is the means to revival. You skip over it and you're not honest about your motives. You're not honest about what's going on in your life. You have that, oh, let's just cover this up over here. Nobody, look what's going on in my life. Look at me and what I'm telling you. There's no integrity in your walk with God. You can say things that, that aren't right, things that aren't true, and it's okay for you to do that. Just don't let anybody say those things about you, right? You can steal the ball, just don't let anybody say anything about you stealing the ribbon, right? Integrity is more than simply being a good person. It's living in sync with the will of God. When you do what's right and it costs you, you declare God's rule over you. So the question, does God rule over you? Does he? Is there integrity in your walk with God? Because we live in this culture full of irresponsibility, full of people who lack integrity. And they think it's somebody else's responsibility to come and clean up after their lack of responsibility. And think that doesn't mean anything. That's why Nehemiah, like we talked about last week, he comes and he lays it out in front of them. But you know what they did? You know what they did? And we read this last week, remember? They said, we'll do that. We will do that. 
And they begin, and this is the reason why we will see the revival. Well, we won't, but you do if you keep on reading the book of Nehemiah. That's why you'll see this revival happen in a couple of chapters. Where they built the wall, and they said, wow, look what God's accomplished. Now, let him do that in us. And the people begin to get rebuilt. They begin to, to confess their sins to one another. They begin to, to allow the word of God to come and penetrate their life. They begin to, to give of themselves financially. You see, all these things happen. Why? Because they saw what could happen if they were a people who walked with integrity with God. They saw it in building the wall, and now they know that God can do it in them. That's where this leads. And then they're going to wind up having the mother of all celebrations. There, I just gave you the synopsis of the next 10 sermons in Nehemiah. So, here's the question. Do you want to declare God's rule over your life today? That may mean you make a commitment to become a Christ follower. That may mean for your next step, you want to come and be a part of Grandview and be part of the, the, what's going on here at church. That may mean that, that you begin to take that stuff you've been covering in your life and hope nobody else sees and you uncover it and you deal with it. You confess it and you fix it. You take responsibility for it. So that's the invitation. So how's God leading you today? Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.